Well, good morning, Westbridge. Thanks for coming out today. Happy Sunday. It's a beautiful Sunday morning out there. Thanks for taking a little bit of time to come, come to church. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Like Amanda said, my name is Jenny Becker. Uh, I used to, I had the privilege of being on staff here for a handful of years. A couple years ago, I served as a youth pastor here and like loved it. I still love it. I get a chance once in a while to come back and join Chandler and the, the squad to love on teenagers. Um, but this morning, um, I get to be here to share with all of you this morning. So this is like different for me. There's normally a lot more heckling with teenagers. So, you know, I'm just going to throw that out there. A um, couple things about me. I've been married to my husband, Jason, for 18 years. We've got an 18-year-old senior. Praise the Lord. We green-lighted that baby. And a 15-year-old daughter, we live over in Otsego. Um, and I just need to add this to that. What a school year. I mean, if you're a student in here, a parent of a student, a teacher, guidance counselor, would you just raise your hand? Yes, we are just going to give it up. We survived the school year. We survived. Seriously. Happy summer to you. What a grind this thing has been. I'm just being honest. Holy, this has been an interesting school year for us. And what we checked it off the list, we survived to tell about it. Hopefully you found a way to thrive. And now I hope that you're really looking forward to some downtime to rest and recharge your batteries this summer. I love summer. Uh, I love everything that comes with summer with the significant exception of June bugs. Um, there was an emergency at the Becker house a couple of nights ago when I was casually laying in my bed getting ready to go to sleep and then I heard one in the room. It got in my room. You guys, I swear these things are hunting me. Like they know they can smell fear. And they were, it was in my room. I honestly, like there's nothing more scary to me than like this dive bombing, bulletproof vested, like weed whip sounding tribe of bugs trying to get in my hair. Like they are, I don't understand why they're created, but with the exception of those creatures, I love summer. And three summers ago, I got this wild idea, and if you know me, that's a very normal thing that happens for me, my poor husband, but I decided that I wanted to get a boat. And I did what anybody with a wild idea does. I went on Facebook Marketplace to see what was available. And I found myself scrolling through pictures of boats and seeing myself in them with friends and snacks and sun and wildlife all around. It was going to be great. And the longer I looked, I realized how much a boat costs. Uh, and I didn't really have boat money. And then I realized that my little Buick Regal isn't going to pull a boat, and I didn't have a boat vehicle. And then I learned that I would need a place to keep a boat, and I don't really have boat space. And if I'm being wholly honest, I wouldn't consider myself a master of boat skills. And so I was a little discouraged and almost gave up on the boat idea until I got an even more brilliant idea. I need to get an inflatable boat. I could afford it. It would fit in my trunk, on a shelf in my garage for the winter. I could still enjoy my friends and snacks and sun and wildlife. It's a perfect plan. So I did what anybody with an even better idea does, that I went to Amazon. And that's where I found my three-person inflatable Intex Seahawk for 60 bucks. Right? I mean... As soon as I saw it, my, my, my mind immediately named it. It's called the dinghy. And so it was like, add to cart, see you in two days, dinghy. All right. So let me tell you guys, my dinghy, this, this thing is my top Amazon purchase of all time, and it's not even close. 
I know it sounds like I'm being a little sarcastic, but I'm not. I'm dead serious. It cost me 60 bucks. And I'm just telling you, like, I have it in my trunk from May to October. And you could find me on random lakes, ponds, inlets. I haven't taken it on a river yet, which after the story you might understand why. But um, I've spent countless hours on this thing with snacks, in the sun, in the water, surrounded by wildlife. It's like a floating couch and it's a literal dream. It's also become a place that I love to spend time with God. I pray and I read my Bible. I even bring a little Bluetooth speaker and I listen to worship music out there. I've spent hours praying with and for friends and family members in the dinghy. God's presence just feels really close in the dinghy and I just love this thing most of the time. Last May, if you remember, it got pretty warm early. It was early, like early May, it got warm. And so May 25th, I invited my daughter, Jolie, who's 15, out on the dinghy for our maiden voyage of 2021 in the dinghy season. And uh, I have a picture to show you of Jojo in the boat. So that's us in the dinghy. It's a three-person dinghy, but I'll say like three, I've done it twice and wasn't as enjoyable. Two is great because both people can just like lounge. And so you can see that we have everything that we would consider essential in this photo. We've got uh, snacks, they're in the dry bag. You know, you can, snacks can't get wet. We have a hat, there's sunscreen, water, an air pump. So we've got all the things that we would consider essential. What I want to point out about the air pump that you see is the dinghy gets about seven-eighths inflated with a battery-powered air pump, but then I have to use a hand pump to finish it off. He's just like an air mattress. You know how like at the end you pump it and then the, we have to put the, the nozzle on? Like you lose some air, right? And so I had to use a hand pump to finish it off so that it could like get fully inflated. Notice that's nowhere to be seen here, right? Yeah. So you also notice in the picture that it's a beautiful spring evening. A couple other things I want to point out about the picture. I want you to notice, and it might be difficult for you to see from where you're sitting, but all of the trees have a slight bend this direction. All of the waves have a slight curve that direction. Jolie's hair is very indicative. Uh, it's going that way. It's not laying flat. <laughs> um, this was a struggle. So, like I said, we've got all the necessities. Now, can I just say, somebody in the back already noticed this, but the fact that my necessities consist of snacks, sunscreen, books, a speaker, and one pump is the first red flag. Why in the world was a necessity not a life jacket? <laughs> Not even a rope. Not even anything that could function as an anchor. So I pump up the dinghy. This is one of my favorite parts about the dinghy, you guys. I love going to like lakes where there's actual boats. Not, okay, I don't want to discount with the dinghy, but like where there's like metal boats getting in the water. And I pull up and I like pull my boat out of my trunk. And then I come up to the, like, the landing where all the boats are like launching. And then I, <laughs> I pull up my air pump and I'm just like, for like five minutes, you know? And people are looking at me like, what is this chick doing? But then they're a little jealous when they think about their payment. Because I'm just floating. They aren't. Just kidding. Sorry. Sorry, boat owners. Um, so I pump it up about seven-eighths full. As you can see, that's about where we're at here. Not all the way full. I didn't have the hand pump, but, you know, I was like, you know, seven-eighths, it's all right. We're good. That's close enough to full. Not good judgment. 
Beach is packed, we get in, it's perfect, super sunny. We're at the point where we're just like, oh, maiden voyage, dinghy season 2021, let's go, right? And so we're pumped, and you, I'm taking pictures, I'm do, you know, doing the mom things. Joe, can I take a picture of you? She's like, but don't post it. I'm like, okay. Um, so we're just, we're just floating. And then all of a sudden, a really bad situation starts to happen. It's a really small lake. It's in Elk River. If you've ever been there, it's called Twin Lakes. It's not big. It's maybe like, I don't, this might be an exaggeration, but it's maybe like double the size of this room. <laughs> it's really not a big lake at all, right? And so as soon as we got outside of the tree line, like, you know, like the, the wind, the, the, tree, the lake is surrounded by trees, and the wind was being blocked by the trees until we got to a certain point out in the lake, and then the, the, the wind started to catch us. And we were moving fast across the lake, like very fast. Typically, I sit in the back of the dinghy, and these, this thing is loaded with features. Uh, these are oar holders. The first service, I called it something else and got made fun of. These are oar holders. And so um, typically, I sit in the back of the dinghy pretty casually and just like give it a row once in a while, but I don't ever have to break a sweat doing it. I started to realize like, man, I might need to like, you know, like, kind of get into this a little bit to try to get us back to shore. This is getting, we're kind of moving fast here and the waves are going this way and we're going, you know. So I realized like, okay, and, and then pretty soon I'm up on my knees and I'm paddling and I'm just like, okay, we really are like not going anywhere, right? And then it turned into like, all right, Joe, mom is going to have you come in the back and you're going to row. I'm going to teach you how to row. So I'm teaching her how to row and I'm in the front with my arms like trying to, trying to paddle us, Right? And she's like, Mom, are we all right? I'm like, yeah, Joe, we are good. We got this. You know, we got this. We are good. And um, eventually it gets to the point where, you know what, Joe? Mom's going mom's gonna to take care of this. I'm going to jump in. You are going to paddle. Mom is going to swim. And we are going to get back to shore. So it's made. Water's pretty cold. Jump in the water fully clothed, by the way. I didn't wear a swimsuit. I wasn't intending on swimming, Right. I get in the water, it's really cold. Uh, weeds start wrapping around my legs, of course, right? How many of you, like, the weeds in the lake is just enough to, like, make you, it's like June bug event? Yeah, like, it's horrible, right? And so the weeds start wrapping around my legs, and I'm swimming as hard as I possibly can, meanwhile trying to coach my daughter on how to use oars for the first time. Uh, I am being serious and also funny that I literally was like, all right, Jesus, you know, remember that one story in the Bible that you like calm the waves and this would be a cool time to reenact it, you know, like this would be cool. Meanwhile, you guys, okay, there's a pontoon driver that just learned how to drive a pontoon that day, I'm pretty sure, doing freaking laps in the lake. And it's not a big lake. So I'm on the edge and I'm like fighting for my life to try to get back to shore. And there's a pontoon circling like 30 miles an hour. So every time they come by, one of their waves is like crashing over my head. And I'm like, bro, can you just, like, what are you doing? And you know, it was just a whole situation, you guys. So I look out about 30 yards and I see this um, floating swim dock. And I'm like, Joe, that's going to be our goal. We are going to give it everything we have to get to that dock, right? And at this point, the dinghy is maybe like less than seven-eighths. I'm going to do fractions, three-fourths full, probably. And we fight to get over there, even despite the pontoon. And we get to the swim dock, and we drag ourselves up onto this dock, and we're just like, you know. And in that moment, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to hatch a plan. I was playing it cool, but truthfully, I was kind of scared, like, we're kind of far away. Even if we get out on the shore, we have like a couple mile walk to get back to where we're parked. 
Like, we have stuff with us, you know? And so I'm trying to figure out what are we going to do. Feeling really defeated, really stupid. And then this old familiar voice of shame starts to set in. We all know that one that's like, you're so stupid. And then it gets a little more serious. You are a horrible mother, you know? And then the blame sets in. If it wasn't for these idiotic pontoon drivers, we wouldn't be in this situation. Don't we do that, though? We get ourselves into situations, and then we run those tapes of shame and blame, right? Anyways, in that moment, I pause, and I take a deep breath, and I ask Jesus for help. And in that moment, I look up, and I see this guy standing on his deck. I'm on his, pont- I'm on his uh, dock, by the way. He says, hey, you guys need some help? And I'm like... Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you got, if you got a minute, you know, you know, and Jolie's like, yes, we need help. Yeah, we, like, we need help. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so he, he's, and he's up on his dock, so he's yelling, you know, and when Jolie, my daughter, told my husband Jason this story, she called that guy, she said, and then Mr. Rogers of Twin Lakes shows up, uh, which I loved. When I tell this story, I call him Jesus in disguise because that's what it was to me. So he gets in his boat, he comes out to his swim dock in his tiny little Alumacraft that's like barely making it because the waves, I mean, they were big in a dinghy, but they were big in a regular boat too. And so he comes out, gets me, my drenched self, and my daughter, and all of our gear, and no life jackets, into his boat. And um, what was so crazy to me about that is that he didn't ask me to explain myself. He didn't ask me how we got there. He didn't shame me. He didn't reprimand me, even though I probably deserved that at that point. He just got in his boat, and he came out, he got us into his boat, and then he gave us a very bumpy ride back across the lake. And I will say, we went past the Circulian pontoon, and the guy driving the boat said, what are these guys even doing? And I really felt validated. I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy to think, like, what is even, what are you doing, you know? So he delivers my daughter and I and our dinghy safely to shore. Jolie and I get out of the boat. We walk to land. We're sitting on the shore with a bunch of people who are just enjoying a relaxing evening on the beach who had no idea that we had just created our own episode of I Survived. (laughs) But we just sat for a few minutes taking in what had just happened. And as we watched this unnamed knight in shining armor take his little boat back across the very choppy lake towards his home. Now, this is a true story of something that actually happened to me a year ago, but it's also a story that I found myself in many other times in my life, and I wonder if you have too. Maybe not in a physical way, but in a mental, emotional, relational, or spiritual way. Times where I thought that I knew what to expect, I thought I had everything I needed, I thought I was smart and strong and capable enough to handle it, until I wasn't. Anybody relate to finding yourself in one of those unexpected situations where your best thinking got you there, and then all of a sudden, the options seem to have vanished, and you feel some kind of weird combo platter of like lost, scared, alone, hopeless, stuck, sorry, embarrassed, overwhelmed? Today I want to take a look at a set of verses in the book of Psalm 107 that describe four different situations that I'd be willing to bet most of us have found ourselves experiencing in some way in the past, or maybe for a lot of us, if we look, we're there right now. 
When Jeremiah asked me a few weeks ago if I'd want to come and share at Westbridge, I started to just pray and ask God, what would you want me to talk about? And I started to think about what are some of the conversations that I've had with friends in this community? What are some things that are going, going, people are going through, struggles that people are having? And he led me to this psalm, and so that's why we're talking about it. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that when we read through these verses, that we would take it to heart. To take something to heart is to attentively consider it. To take something to heart is to draw understanding and wisdom from it. And to take something to heart is to try it on in our real lives. So let's get into it. If you have a Bible with you and you want to open it, we're in Psalm 107. If you want to pull it up on your phone, do that. And if neither of those options feel like something you want to do today, totally cool. We're going to have it up on the screen. You can follow along up here. So we start in Psalm 107. And I love the beginning of the psalm because the psalmist just kind of starts it off with this hopeful challenge to us. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east to west and from north to south. So the psalmist, like I said, starts out with this heart of gratitude and thanks to God for his love and his faithfulness. And then he moves right to challenging us to think about our lives and to remember times that God has shown his love and faithfulness to us And then he encourages us to speak out about it. We'll come back to that at the end. Starting in verses 4 and 5, the psalmist switches his attention to a certain group of people. And for the sake of this conversation, we're going to call them the aimless wanderers. Now, I know there's been plenty of times in my life where I felt like an aimless wanderer. So as we read these verses, I want you to see if you can picture yourself here too. It says this, Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help They cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them, the aimless wanderers, praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. When I think of myself being an aimless wanderer, a couple things come to mind. The first one is as a kid, maybe you... If you grew up in St. Michael, I guarantee you did this. If you didn't, then you probably did it too. Um, Going into a cornfield in September, like as a kid. I remember one day we went out, we were like, we're going to go play it. We're going to make a fort in the cornfield, which basically means get lost for a few hours and then, you know, see what happens. And so I went onto the cornfield. I probably went about 20 yards. And then I heard my mom calling for me to come home, right? And so I start to make my way in the direction that I think is the right way, Right? to realize I'm going further away. My mom's voice is getting further away, right? And then I course correct, and I go further the wrong way, again, in the opposite direction, right? And just to find out, like, two hours later, you finally find your way out, and you're scared, and you're hungry, and you're in trouble. Aimless wanderer. Another one that came to mind for me is I have become utterly dependent on GPS. Anybody else? Like, I was already bad at directions, and now I get to rely on GPS to tell me where to go? Like, this is ridiculous. So I've got to a place that I'm very unfamiliar with, right? And my phone is almost dead to get home. And so I plug it in, or I go to plug it in and realize that my dear loving children have borrowed, borrowed, don't you love that word? Have borrowed my, my phone charging cord from my car. And so I have no way to rely on the GPS, and now I must rely on my own terrible sense of direction to get home. 
aimless wandering, hoping to find a way through the mess and chaos of wherever I am. Now, these two examples are kind of funny, and they're a light way to describe an aimless wandering, but the psalmist is describing a real aimless wandering. Some of us are wandering aimlessly and without direction or purpose in some areas of our lives, and we feel lost, and we feel scared, and we feel hungry. Maybe it's in a relationship or a lack thereof. Maybe it's in a financial situation. Maybe it's in a medical diagnosis. I don't know what it is for you, but what I, am, what I do know is that the psalmist illustrates something that's true, and I've seen it both in Scripture and I've also seen it in my own life. To the aimless wanderer, God is direction and provision. To the aimless wanderer, God is direction and provision. When we find ourselves feeling like we're just wandering aimlessly into a situation, we're ill-equipped, we're getting in a seven-eighths inflated dinghy, not physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, God provides direction and provision. The next set of verses, in verses 10 to 16, we see another set of people that Scripture calls the hopeless prisoners. So in verse 10, it starts like this. It says, Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell, and no one was there to help them. Lord, help. We're starting to see a pattern in the scripture here. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them, and here he's talking specifically to the hopeless prisoners, praise the Lord, for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. So when we think about hopeless prisoners, I wanted to share this. I, for my day job, I have the privilege of serving as a chaplain at Minnesota Dalton Teen Challenge in Minneapolis. And my role is on the front lines of watching hopeless, scared, lost, paranoid, shaking, malnourished, traumatized men and women who have become absolute prisoners to drugs and alcohol and other life-controlling issues be literally healed and set free by the power and love of Jesus. I see it every day. And the funny part about the kind of work that I get to do is that I went to work, when I started there a few years ago, I went to work thinking that I was there to help people get free. And while that might be partly true, what has happened in the past couple of years doing that kind of work is I've actually realized areas of my life that I was imprisoned and didn't even know it. And maybe you can relate to that. I thankfully don't struggle with an addiction to substances, but what I have realized is I do struggle with an addiction to people-pleasing. I do struggle with an addiction to busyness. I do struggle with an addiction to sugar. (laughs) And here's the deal. The longer I live, the more I realize that everyone seems to be imprisoned by something, whether they know it or not. And some just tend to be more obvious or socially acceptable than others. See, statistics tell me that at least one-tenth of the people in this room are struggling with an addiction to substance. Drugs or alcohol. Statistics also tell us that one-tenth of the people in this room are struggling with an addiction to work or food or sex or porn or gambling. 
One-tenth of the people in this room, and I'd be willing to probably bet even more, are struggling with undiagnosed, undertreated, or untreated mental illness. What we know about that is even if you don't fall into any of those categories that I just listed, I'm willing to bet that you do fall into the category of someone who loves someone who struggles with one or many of those things, which very commonly leads to being addicted to meeting the needs of other people ahead of your own in this cute little trap called codependency. You might be thinking, okay, lady, chill out. This is supposed to be a hopeful message, and it is. But here's my point. No matter what, no matter who you are today, no matter where you're at today, I know that because you're a human, you struggle with something that you continuously have tried your own best ideas to stop doing unsuccessfully. And I'm here to reiterate that today about my own life. And what the psalmist says in these verses, what I've experienced for myself and what I've seen God do over and over and over in the lives of people that I love. Whatever you feel hopelessly imprisoned to, wherever there is darkness and gloom, I want to encourage you to ask Jesus to invade. And then let him. See, to the hopeless prisoner, God is light and he's hope. God shines light in the darkness. And this morning as I was teaching this in first service, I started to think about that. And I actually want to add a third word to that. God is light and hope, and he's also freedom in this. But in those times that we realize that I'm doing something that I keep trying to stop and I don't have the ability to stop, and it's in the dark because I haven't told anybody about it, I think I'm just going to handle this on my own. When we invite Jesus to invade, he invades with light. He invades with hope. And ultimately, we receive freedom as a result. Verses 17 to 22 go on to describe another group of people that the Bible calls the sorry fools. Anybody ever been in that category? No, just me? Okay. Um, It says this in verse 17. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food and they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help. There it is again. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and he healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them, the sorry fools he's referring to, praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Let them sing joyfully about his glorious acts. That word fool is used a lot in scripture, especially in the Psalms and Proverbs, to describe someone who knows the right thing to do, yet they choose to do the opposite. I know that I'm probably the only one in this room that has ever done that. Known the right thing to do and chosen the opposite. Kidding. Um, But I'll just go ahead and confess, that's me. That's been a struggle for me. I'll be the first to admit it's not fun. I'll tell you, coming home that day after our little dinghy experience and having to come in the house and tell Jason, my husband, what had happened in this event where I endangered not only the life of his wife, but the life of his daughter... (laughs) was rough. The truth of it is that I prioritized snacks and books over jackets, life jackets and pumps. And now that's like a funny thought, but it's actually like really honest. To be honest with you, I've never, I don't have a good track record of choosing safety over fun for myself. And when I think about that, if I would have been a a watcher of a lady that was pumping up her boat and putting her kid in there and then it was like partially inflated, I probably would comment like, lady, are, are, are you sure you don't want to pump that thing up? Like, I would have been a little judgmental about it if it was somebody else doing it, you know? And, like, and then she's like, no, don't worry, we, we have snacks. 
um, I would have been like, oh, so your bag of Cheetos is going to become a flotation device in the event something goes terribly wrong. Okay, horrible idea, right? But for me, for whatever reason, I'll bypass that for the sake of fun. Maybe you can relate to being a repeat offender for risky behavior. Driving when you've had too much to drink. One more round of pull tabs to try to even it out. Losing control of your emotions and lashing out in anger. In the face of all these situations, we have to deal with ourselves. And the psalmist illustrates this idea in the scriptures. We can either choose to handle it on our own, or we can humble ourselves enough to ask God for help. And here's what I know from experience. To the sorry fool, God is truth and he's redemption. To the sorry fool, God is truth and he's redemption. God isn't going to mince words with us in these situations. He's going to tell us what's true about our actions. But he's also going to help us to choose a different thing. To the sorry fool, God is truth and redemption. And the last category we're going to look at is the overwhelmed. Now, how many of you ever went to a um, roller rink when you were younger? Or maybe current day, right? There's still a couple open. I I just heard that. Um, This one is an all skate. Remember all skates? Like... If you're in the roller rink and you have skates on and they call an all-skate, like everybody better get out there and start doing the laps, right? Okay, this is an all-skate because we can all relate to this. This is the overwhelmed. It says this. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. Now, here's what I love about the way that this one starts out. They're just living their regular everyday life. There's no risky behavior involved here. They're just going to work, right? They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed from the heavens and plunged again into the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. Let me translate that to 2022. This last year, I was just living my life, right? Going to work, trying to like do the things like all of you. And I felt like this, this moment of this, this time of realizing, like, I am completely overwhelmed. Like, it started with, like, one, having a senior in school that's kind of like, eh, school, eh, we'll see. Then a freshman, a freshman daughter, you know, like, heading back into, going to high school. Just a lot to deal with. I have an elderly dog. He's blind. He's got, a, he's got a Alzheimer's. Dogs can get Alzheimer's, apparently. Uh, he wears diapers. He's just on hospice, you know. So I'm just taking care of this dog that's just, you know, struggling, Then someone really close to me passes away. It rocked me. I was not anticipating that. Then I became a caretaker for his mother. Then I became a a person that needs to help kind of reconcile the, the life of this person that had passed. Then another person passed away. And you guys, I've lost four clients in the last three months to freaking fentanyl. Can I just tell you, like, this is a real problem. And when I think of the overwhelmed times in the last six months even, it feels like there's just like, st- like stress and circumstance. I'm just living my life, right? And there's just stress and circumstance just piling, piling up. This is what they're describing. They reeled and staggered like drunkards were at their wit's end. Lord, help, they cry in their trouble. And he saves them from their distress. He calms the storm to a whisper and he stills the waves. What a blessing, that stillness, as he brought them safely into the harbor. Let them, the overwhelmed, 
Praise the Lord for this great love and for wonderful things that he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. I know without even talking to you that you felt some of what I just described in this last year. Maybe even today. And I know that in 2022 that you've experienced some significant feelings of overwhelmed on certain days. And I know that sometimes it feels, like I said, the stress is flowing in from every angle. And it's so easy to feel like we're getting tossed around and spun up and carried away by life, similar to how I was in the dinghy. Yet in those moments, God has promised that he's with us. I hope this morning that if you're feeling overwhelmed, you'll grab a hold of the truth that to the overwhelmed, God has peace and he's steadiness. God has peace and he is steadiness. And then Psalm 107 ends similar to how I like to cook. Just toss in some good stuff for good measure at the end. I'd encourage you to take some time to read it this week uh, and just see what stands out between verses 33 and 42 for you. But for the sake of our time together today, we're actually going to zoom all the way down to the end of Psalm 107 to verse 43, where it says, Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. So how do we take this to heart? The first thing that we can do is attentively consider these ideas. Start to ask yourself the question, where have you been in the past? Where are you today? While the author of these verses paints four different groups of people in the verses, I know I found myself in a combination of these groups in different times in life. All of us in this room today, no matter what, you've been in one of these groups. But can you see that God has carried you through a difficult time when you look at it? For me, the first time that comes to mind is the first time I walked through the doors of Westbridge Church in 2008. <laughs> I belonged to all four of the groups addressed in the psalm. I even had the member card to prove it. In addition to those, I was angry. I was a workaholic. My marriage and my family was in shambles. I was scared. I was hurt. I was broken. And I was unsure about any of this God stuff. I was the definition of an aimless wanderer, a hopeless prisoner, a sorry fool, and the walking definition of overwhelmed. I was drowning in my life and in circumstance. Maybe that resonates with where you're at today. And if it does, I just want to say I am so glad. I am so glad that you're here. And if you're tuning in online today, I am so glad that you're tuning in online today. I want you to picture me, go back to my story, I want you to picture me in the middle of the lake, drenched, cold, Weeds wrapped around my legs, wind whipping, trying to knock me off the swimming raft, the freaking pontoon just having the time of their life, trying to hide my tears from my daughter, while trying not to let my now three-fourths inflated dinghy blow away, ashamed, embarrassed, trying to pretend like everything is cool, yet being utterly lost about what to do next. That is a very, very accurate picture of what I looked like on the first day I walked into Westbridge Church on the inside. On the outside, I looked like I had my stuff together. On the inside, I was the conductor of a train wreck of my life. And I stand here today genuinely overwhelmed with gratitude because I believe that the Westbridge Church family was God's rescue effort in my life. 
God's family was the inflatable raft in the middle of the lake that we somehow found. This is the place that I first met and began a relationship with Jesus. And my life has never been the same as a result. Through the Westbridge family, the aimless wanderer in me started to see God's direction and provision in my life. The hopeless prisoner in me started to see God's light and hope and freedom in my life. Through the Westbridge family, the sorry fool in me started to see God's truth and redemption in my life. And through the Westbridge family, the overwhelmed in me started to see God's peace and steadiness in my life, something I was very unfamiliar with. So what if you landed here this morning as a part of God's rescue effort in your life? I hope you'll take them up on it. Or on the other hand, what if you landed here this morning as a part of God's rescue effort in the life of the person sitting next to you? Or in the row in front or behind you? I hope you'll take them up on it. The second thing we can do to take this message to heart as we're instructed by the psalmist is to draw understanding and wisdom from the text. To draw understanding and wisdom from the text. What from Psalm 107 can be applied to your life? Where do you see yourself in the story? What do you think God is speaking to you in this? And then what stands in the gap of your decision to ask God for help with something in your life? Are you facing a big decision? Are you struggling in a relationship? Are you hoping you can kick this thing that seems like it was a bad habit and it's spinning out of control fast? Do you have an idea or a dream in your heart that you haven't done anything with yet? I want you to ask God for understanding and wisdom to navigate it. What we know is we don't know. <laughs> what we know is that we don't know a whole lot of anything. But what we also know is that God's promise to us is that his presence is constant. It's consistent. It's relentless. So what can you apply from the text today to your own life? Draw understanding and wisdom from it. And the third thing we can do to take this message to heart is to try it on in our lives. Now, I love using this language, try it on, because I know for me, when I go to the dressing room somewhere, to the store somewhere, I go in the dressing room, I try stuff on to see if I would wear it, right? My husband has a different strategy, which I'll never understand. He literally does this. Yeah, looks good. I'm like, how do you know? Okay, whatever. But when I say try it on, I mean like try it on. And I, know, I say this because sometimes trying new things when it comes to our faith can feel really awkward. But the first thing I want to encourage you to try on is how the psalmist started out the Psalm 107. I want to encourage you to, to share with someone a time that God has rescued you in the nick of time. I'll be in the lobby after service and I'd love for you to share it with me, to be honest. But here's the thing. Our stories are really, really powerful. They're given to us for a reason. And we share them, a couple incredible things actually happen. One, every time I share the story of what God's done in my life, I'm reminded of his faithfulness to me. Every time I talk about what God's done for me, I'm reminded of how faithful he's been to me, even despite my risky behavior at times. Someone first service to me said, your story of the dinghy makes you look a little dinghy. I said, yes, accurate. But yet his faithfulness to me is, has been there, even despite my bad decisions, right? And so every time I share my story, I'm reminded of his faithfulness. The second thing that happens when I share my story is that it inspires other people. It encourages other people. It builds up faith and hope in other people. And the same is true for your story. What has God saved you from? Share it with someone. 
to remind yourself and to encourage someone else. I know for me, I've made a lot of decisions in my life because of the faith of someone else. In fact, standing up here right now, that's the story. The second thing we can try on is making a daily practice of thankfulness and gratitude to God and for what he's done for you, in you, with you, through you, and around you. Like the psalmist says to each group of the people that he listed in the scripture, when you recognize an area that God has saved your bacon, thank him. Jesus is so worthy of being praised and thanked. So my hope today is that you found yourself and you saw yourself in some of the verses that we read in Psalm 107. And even more so that you saw a God that is eager to come to your rescue. So to the aimless wanderers in the room, God is your direction and he's your provision. To the hopeless prisoners in the room, God is light and hope and freedom. To the sorry fools in the room, myself included, God is truth and redemption. And to the overwhelmed in the room, God is peace and he's steadiness. So wherever you find yourself, I hope you'll take God up on his offer to help. I know some of us this morning showed up desperate for help. And if that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I want you to know that it's as simple as just agreeing with me in your heart with this simple prayer that goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I'm in need of your help. Forgive me for the times I've stiff-armed you and tried to do life on my own. Forgive me for all of the ways I've fallen short, hurting myself and others in the process. Adopt me as your son or your daughter. Help me, strengthen me to follow you and your way of doing life to the best of my ability. Jesus, I'm saying yes to you being the leader of my life. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Westbridge family, for being a group of people that is dead set. Thank you. This, this, this family is dead set on the mission of being people who are helping people find and follow Jesus, and I'm a product of that, and I am so grateful. It's been such an honor to be here with you all this morning, and before I close in prayer and wrap up service, I just wanted to say I'll be in the lobby after service. I'd love for you to come say hi. I'd love for you to share what God's done in your life, and I'd love to pray with you if you need that. But thanks for coming this morning. I'd love to close us out in prayer. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that in times of distress, we can call out to you for help and you're right there, ready to help. Thank you that no matter how far we've run, it's never too far for you. No matter how far gone we think we are, it's never too far for you. Jesus, thank you that you don't give up on your kids no matter what. And God, thank you for this faith family at Westbridge. Please continue to lead the way and bless their efforts. And Jesus, thank you for bringing those who needed to hear what you had to say here this morning. I ask that you would strengthen and encourage my friends and that they'd feel seen and heard by you because they are. Jesus, thank you for loving us relentlessly and perfectly. In your name, amen. Thanks for coming today, you guys.